Um, so Isaiah chapter 6 can be found on page 590 in the Church Bibles. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they covered, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, and the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps where they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to pray for us as we uh, hear and respond to God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, would you fill us afresh with a vision of your glory, and would that shape us this morning? Um. We pray it all for your glory. Amen. When was the last time you saw something so breathtaking that you just had to talk about it? You're probably thinking of some absolutely outstanding vista. Uh, maybe you're on a mountainside or something like that. Um, but we actually do this kind of thing all the time. We share all sorts of stuff with our friends. I mean, look at social media full of pictures of beautiful sunsets, babies, and date meals. We send funny videos to each other, or we tag one another in stupid posts. Maybe we comment on the big game uh, for all of our sporting friends. But this sharing, it's not exclusive to the social media world. We do it all the time in the real world, too. I've been here before. The loaded fries, they're pretty great. Or, hey, come quick, check out this uh, rainbow out the window. It's such a natural part of life. When we experience something special, we can't help but respond by sharing our joy with others. Now, while I've seen plenty of amazing sunsets and I've eaten plenty of great meals, uh, these things, they only push me so far. I'm not about to shout from the rooftops about my brunch. But in Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah is shown a far more spectacular vision the artist behind the sunset, the culinary master behind every tasty ingredient. Isaiah sees God on his throne, 
and he stands awestruck. And when you see something that amazing, you cannot help but respond to the immensity of it all. So we're going to have a look at this vision and how we might also respond. But before we get to all of that, we're jumping in at chapter 6. To truly grasp what makes this throne room vision so spectacular, we have to figure out what's going on in the first few chapters of Isaiah. So we're going to have a whirlwind tour of those. To make it a bit easier, the verses, they'll be on the screen behind me. Um, But let's see what the situation is like when Isaiah was written. Well, chapter 1 of Isaiah, uh, we aren't off to the greatest start. Verse 4, God calls his children a brood of evildoers who have forsaken the Lord and spurned the Holy One of Israel. Verse 13, God is sick of Israel's meaningless offerings. Their incense is detestable to him. They just babble on in worthless assemblies. It's all just a bunch of lip service from evil people. Well, does it get any better in chapter 2? Afraid to say it doesn't. Uh, Verse 6 to 8, Israel are full of superstitions, full of gold and silver, full of idols. They bow to the works of their hands. Instead of praising their creator God, uh, they they praise created idols and money. Everything is backwards. And to give us a picture of the backwards nature of Israel, uh, chapter 5 paints this picture. Verse 4, What more could I have done for my vineyard? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Verse 7, the Lord looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. Looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Maybe a good summary verse is Isaiah 5, verse 20. Uh, It talks to the people as those who call evil good, and good evil. God's people certainly aren't painted in the best light. In regards to fulfilling their purpose, they're failures. They've done and been the exact opposite of what God wanted. In regards to the way that they speak, well, they're corrupt. Instead of using their mouths to praise God, they use it to curse and defy Him. They offer lip service to God and praise to their idols. They are corrupt people with corrupt lips. A well-tended vineyard that is now twisted and gnarled. Everything is backwards. Now, imagine, if you will, uh, that you lived among such people, where the way that we live and speak is backwards. Well, perhaps you don't actually need to imagine too hard to come up with some modern examples. Perhaps someone in authority at your, work, at your workplace, uh, maybe they're fond of the occasional lie to keep them in a position of power. I'm pretty sure that God's name shows up more often in conversation than just for the sake of praising him. And I probably don't have to suggest too many ways that people praise stuff and wealth over God who gave them those things. People, we are so often backwards. We praise stuff instead of God, offering Him lip service while relying on everything but Him. So, imagine uh, that you're living among the people of Isaiah's day. 
And yet one day, you get a glimpse of what is going on behind the curtain. You close your eyes in bed one night uh, to the gentle sound of cursing on the street corner uh, or some public official rattling off their lip service on the TV. Uh, and then you drift off to sleep, only to open your eyes and see the strangest sight, a sight like Isaiah 6, 1 to 4. You're standing in some kind of throne room. You look around, and the first thing you see is God in all of his glory. He's seated on his throne, and his very presence is filling the whole space. And before you take it in, you see these bizarre things, winged creatures, wings all over, wings flying. You try to make sense of it, uh, but before you can, their voices boom into your ears as they shout back and forth, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they boom back and forth, the room shakes with each word, Holy, holy, holy. And as you look around the room, you're just trying to figure out what's going on. You can't really see clearly because everything is hazy with smoke. It's a pretty disorienting sight, to say the least. And that's because you've been pulled behind the curtain into the throne room of the living God. The very same God who made you and knows you. And the very same God that has just called your people a brood of defiant, proud, superstitious evildoers. And yet here you stand somehow in his presence. Lies, curses, hypocrisy, they were all being drummed into your ears just moments ago. And now here you are before the very throne of God with glorious truth booming into your ears from the mouths of angels. With such a sudden reversal and shock, how could you not respond like Isaiah does in verse 5? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When confronted with a holy God, amidst an unholy world, how can we do anything else but cry out, Woe to me, I am ruined. The heights of God's glory shows us just how far we fall short. That before God, we are ruined. But it's a good thing that Isaiah 6 doesn't end at verse 5. It doesn't end in ruin. Because we read on in verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tongs from the altar. Uh, and with it he touched my mouth and he said... See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God has not welcomed Isaiah into his throne room just to crush him with the weight of guilt and despair. He has instead made a way out of that crushing weight so that Isaiah and so that we don't have to cry out in ruin. God has provided a way that turns guilt, shame, and despair into salvation and joy. Because God has provided a pardon for sin. Here in Isaiah 6, that pardon, it's a coal from an altar in the temple. 
It could have perhaps been a charcoal piece of a burnt offering. That was the go-to sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament. Uh, It was God's way of showing grace to Israel back then. However, now we know of a far better sacrifice, a far better pardon, a lasting sacrifice. Not a lamb that needed to be sacrificed over and over, but Jesus Christ, who came to this world, lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ, who died as a pardon for our sins. So that you and I can see our enormous, glorious God and yet still walk away unscathed. Not left in ruin and despair, not destroyed by his judgment, but cleansed by his love. Let's just sit in that relief that Isaiah must be feeling in this moment. Despairing and crushed one second, no way out before a holy God, and yet forgiven, relieved, and grateful the very next second. It's a relief and a joy that is on offer to you today. You don't need to sit there crushed by woe, by ruin before a holy God. The relief of salvation is on offer because God has provided you a pardon in Jesus. And if you want to have a glimpse of what it looks like to enjoy the relief of that salvation, talk to someone here this morning who has felt that relief. You should have plenty of people to choose from, as that should be anyone who's been forgiven by Jesus. When you ask them, see if they really treasure what God has done for them. Maybe you could ask them about the first time that they understood God's forgiveness. Check if it's real from the way that they talk about it. Because the joy of God's forgiveness is a wonderful, life-changing thing. And it's in this state of life-changing bliss that Isaiah hears God's voice. God speaks for the first time in the whole vision in verse 8. He says, Whom shall I go? So, sorry, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? That's a bit of an interesting question. God is asking a particularly broad question to no one in particular. It's not quite what we might expect from a call. Maybe we're waiting for God to say, You must go and tell the people of Palmy about me. Or, Uh, I have picked you out to go to Morocco. But it's much more general, and it's much more indirect than that. And I think it's because we're hearing the heart of God. This could be musings within the Trinity. It could be God consulting the heavenly throne room. Either way, we're let in on God's desires. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God here is wanting a messenger, a mouthpiece, so to speak. Because in the lead up to all of these verses, uh, there's been so much talk of lips. The people have been calling good evil and evil good. They've been cursing God. Isaiah laments his unclean lips. This coal has touched your lips. And it's all because God wants someone to speak for him, to be his ambassador, someone to speak of his glory, to praise him publicly. Someone who calls others to praise God. 
God wants his glory to, make, to be made known throughout the world. Uh, in Isaiah's circumstance, that meant his own people, the people of Israel. Uh, but even later in the book of Isaiah, God's message to Israel is supposed to be a light for the other nations. Uh, chapter 52, verse 10, uh, says, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. It's not just found in Isaiah, it's found throughout the Bible as a whole. God is wanting people to be his mouthpiece to everyone, not just Israel. God wants to send glory bringers into the far reaches of the world to bring all peoples back to himself. But if he wants messengers, why doesn't he just tell Isaiah directly to go? Or why doesn't he just tell us directly to go? Well, let me emphasize again that it's maybe because we don't need a flash of light or a direct and clear audible call to go somewhere. Perhaps Isaiah only needs to hear God's heart to draw people back to himself. Because when he hears about God's heart and the possibility of serving, he can't help but jump up and volunteer. I mean, if you thought mere seconds ago that you were about to be crushed, crushed to dust before a holy God for all the ways that you fall short, and yet you tasted charcoal forgiveness. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what else could you do when you overhear God musing, who will go for us? What else could you do but hurl yourself into God's service? Pick me, pick me. And so in verse 8, he says, And I said, Here am I. Send me. Now, I want us to notice a little bit of an order here. Isaiah is saved, and then he offers his service to God. Salvation, then service. Salvation, then speaking about God to this world. Have you been saved? Do you understand the great blessing that you have received? If so, don't keep this glorious message of salvation to yourself. Not because you have to, to be in God's good books, because again, he's saved us, then we serve. But because if we have seen and we have tasted God's forgiveness, how could we shut up about his glory? We share heaps of our lives with one another because we want to share all the things that we enjoy. So how could we not proclaim God's glory to this world? Will we use our once unclean lips to speak about God to everyone around us? What if it's not easy? What if God gives us the task of speaking to people who don't want to listen at all? Well, verse 9 to 13 give us a framework for that exact outcome. Because let's bring it back down to earth. Isaiah has seen this vision. He's caught up in the throne room, but every day he's still surrounded by slanderous, unjust, violent, twisted people. So what might the message look like in that kind of situation? Well, verse 9 and 10. He, that is God, said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. 
Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How is that sharing God's salvation with the world? How can that come from a glorious God? Well, I'm going to dodge a bullet here and I'm going to hand that question straight to Jesus because Jesus speaks about these exact verses in Mark 4. There, Jesus tells us a story that helps us understand these verses. The story is often referred to as the parable of the sower. It tells us that sharing the gospel or talking about God's forgiveness, uh, it has two sides to it. Because in it, Jesus talks about one good soil and three bad soils. When the seed, that is the message of forgiveness or the gospel, uh, when the seed falls on good soil, it produces exactly what we see in Isaiah, salvation and fruit. But there are three other soils who do not produce this kind of fruit. Instead, these three other soils, for various reasons, they go on ignoring the forgiveness that is on offer. The gospel produces nothing in them. No humbling, no repentance, nothing. It reminds me of a certain well-tended vineyard that only produced bad grapes. And Jesus explains that the people represented by these three soils are those who don't respond to his teaching. They see, but they never perceive. They hear, but they never understand. And so the same message that brings forgiveness and salvation to some hardens, deafens, and blinds others. And as uncomfortable as it is, we don't actually get to decide who is who. Who is which soil? Who will be saved and who will go on ignoring the gospel of forgiveness? God decides that. He decides whether the gospel will dull the ears, close the eyes, or callous the heart. And he decides if it will result in salvation. All that's on us is to share the gospel. God will do with that what he will do with that. And this is actually a relief it takes the pressure of salvation off our backs. It means that if you have persisted for years, you've shared the gospel a thousand times with that one friend, but they still don't see the glory of God or their need for salvation, you are not a failure. You are a faithful servant. You are a faithful mouthpiece of God doing exactly what he wants of you. But may I remind you that we don't share the gospel with no hope, as if it's only going to be ignored and only going to bring judgment. There is hope. So we're going to read from verses 11 through 13. Isaiah said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid to waste. But, as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. 
Now, verse 11 and 12, they're pretty clearly referring to the coming exile of God's people, where God sends his people far away and the land is forsaken. The exile is the big moment of judgment for the Old Testament. And yet, Isaiah is supposed to call out until then. Because while this judgment day is on its way, God still calls out with the message of forgiveness. He uses Isaiah and he uses the other prophets to cry out with hope that they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Because when judgment is finally dealt out, God will save for himself a holy remnant, a holy seed, a stump after the tree is felled. People will return to God through Isaiah's message. And people will return to God through gospel proclamation today as we await another big day of judgment. Although, here we actually have even more hope than Isaiah. Isaiah has promised a small remnant, a stump in the face of exile. We today are promised a great multitude that no one could count. And so we're going to take a look at another vision of a throne room. This time it's a future vision. I want you all to turn with me to uh, Revelation 7. Verses 9 through to 10, it's right at the back of the Bible. Flick there now. I'm going to read verses 9 to 10. Uh, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every tribe, uh, sorry, every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Sounds a little bit like that first vision, right? Except this time, instead of it being just angels praising, it's great multitudes of people. And in fact, they start off the chorus. The angels don't join in until verse 11 and 12. Instead of needing a burning coal, all the people here, they've already been washed by the blood of Jesus in verse 14. How did this great multitude get here? How were they around this throne? How were they washed by the blood of Jesus? Well, it's because people like us heard God's desire to call people back to himself. And God used us to proclaim his glory. Let's land back in Isaiah 6-8. When God says, who will I send? Who will go out for us? Will you say, here am I, send me? regardless of how difficult the audience, will you bring God's glory to those people? If we want to see every nation, tribe, people, and language before the throne praising God for eternity, what will it look like for you to say, here am I, send me? If you hear about a gospel need in a place that is far away, that is difficult, a place that is well far out of your comfort zone, 
will you go? If you hear God's heart for Turkey, where the hearts are hard and the ears are dulled, will you go? If you hear God's heart for Japan, where work culture is poised to strangle every single fledgling faith, will you go? If you hear God's heart for Portugal, where they have been inoculated by centuries of false gospel, will you go? You know the situation that God has put you in currently every day. You have heard God's heart for the lost around you every day here in Wellington. As you step out that door, will you say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would fill our eyes afresh with a vision of your majesty. We ask that we would grasp on to your offer of forgiveness and cherish it deeply. We long to know your heart for this world. And Lord, we long to be your mouthpiece to this world. Here are we, Lord. Send us. Amen. Just a note before I hop down. If you're sitting there and you want to be better equipped to share the gospel with people around you, please talk to me, talk to one of the other pastors here or your community group leader or your other Christian friends. Uh, I would love to hear heaps of, gospel, uh, heaps of conversations going on over morning tea about how we can be sharing the gospel more. Um, or if your heart was spurred to think maybe beyond this corner of the globe, uh, can I recommend step one? Pick a country with very few Christians and start praying for it regularly. There are a few resources out there like Operation World and PrayerCast, and they're pretty useful to help guide your prayer. Um, or if you want any more information about that, I'm also happy to talk about other steps uh, in the overseas direction. As for now, though, I'd like to invite the band up because we're going to sing in response to God's word.